There is one name under heaven whereby men can be saved. Today, for the next two Sundays, Christmas Day and New Year's Day, we're going to deal with a very specific topic, worship, and what it truly means to come and to worship Him. The title for this three-part series is, We Have Come to Worship Him. The Christmas story always includes the wise men. It always includes the wise men who came from the east, coming to Jerusalem with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But today I begin the series by asking a, a question. What was the real objective? In Matthew 2, verse 1, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Now, there is much speculation about how these wise men knew about the star. How did they know? Obviously, they studied the skies, they studied the stars, but how did they know about that star? They came from the east. If you look at Jerusalem on a map, east, you would find Babylon, modern-day Iraq. You would find Persia, modern-day Iran. You would go a little farther and find India, or a little farther and find China. They came from the east. They came, and I believe, just my opinion right now, it is highly likely that these wise men were coming from the land, formerly known as Babylon, that the prophet Daniel had lived in exile some 500 years before. Nobody knows for sure how the wise men came to this foreknowledge about this king that was coming to the earth. Daniel knew about the coming king of the Jews. 500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Daniel knew about this coming king of the Jews and revealed the Messiah king's coming to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. No one knows for sure how Daniel, how much Daniel knew. But this is what we do know about the prophet Daniel 500 years before Christ was born. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 2. He's in Babylon. He is to the east of Jerusalem. And here's what he reveals to Nebuchadnezzar the king. During the reign of those kings, those would be the Gentile kings of the future. During the reign of those Gentile kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed and this kingdom will never be conquered. It will crush all these earthly kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed the pieces of statue of iron, clay, and silver, and gold. 
the great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. Daniel saw the future. And he's revealing the future to the king of Babylon to the east of Jerusalem. This dream, Daniel said, is true. And its meaning is certain. Some 500 years after Daniel's prophecy, Jesus was born. And the star of Bethlehem guided these wise men to Jerusalem and to King Herod. And what was their real objective? Were they just curious astronomers? Just curiosity seekers? What was their real objective? Matthew 2. Let me read the first four verses. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking a question. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star in the, as it rose, and we have come, here it comes, and we have come from eastern lands to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, I want you to notice something here. The wise men referred to the child specifically in this term, the newborn king of the Jews. Now, how did they know that? How did they know that from a star? How did they know? Unless a Jewish man, maybe Daniel 500 years earlier, maybe, or an angel, maybe it was an angel that came and told them the details, maybe. They referred to this as a newborn king of the Jewish people. So they, they give that data, that information to King Herod. And what's his response? Herod refers to him how? Not as a newborn king of the Jews. He refers to them, to this child. Where, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Herod refers to him as the, the Jewish Messiah. But the difference between Herod and the wise men is this. Herod feared this newborn king. Why? Because Herod is the king of the Jews. And he doesn't have room in his kingdom for a new king. He is the king. He knew. He says, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? He knew. He knew something. How did Herod know about a Messiah? Herod knew about the scriptures. But he didn't know enough to know where the Messiah was to be born. So he calls in people who know more about the scriptures than he does and says, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? So why did the wise men come? This is where we're going in this three-part series. Why did the wise men come? Is it just to study the stars, astronomy? Yes, the child is the king of the Jews. 
Just like the wise men said, yes, the child is the Messiah, just like Herod said. But why did the wise men come to Jerusalem? Now, understand something. Why did the star lead them, lead them to Jerusalem before it led them to Bethlehem? Why Jerusalem? Did you ever wonder? They said, we have come to worship him. Now, you're going to hear me say this a lot in this three-part series, so here comes the first time. The revelation of his true identity requires a response. The revelation of his true identity. The wise men said he's a newborn king of the Jews, and he has a star. Herod says he's the Messiah. The revelation of his true identity requires a response. He is the Messiah king. Christmas is about worship. Without worship, there is no Christmas. What the world has done to Christmas is idolatry. Christmas is about worship, worshiping the Messiah King. His identity requires a response. And you know what that response is? It's called worship. He is the Messiah King. When you come to that conclusion, personally, you will come to worship Him. Why did you come here today? It's a question that I'll ask both services today. Why did you come here today on December the 18th, 2022? Have you come here today to worship Him? Ask yourself a question today. Of all the reasons you got up this morning and dressed yourself and drove out here on a cold day, why did you come today? Was it specifically for a reason that I come today to worship Him? Because the revelation of His identity requires me to respond. And that response is worship. You know, we call this the worship center, but you can be in the worship center and not worship at all. So we're going to examine the word worship. We're going to look and see what it means. We're going to see how they do it in heaven. Do they do it in heaven? Yes, they do. We're going to see how they did it in the Bible. Because I want to know what it is to worship him. We're going to see how they did it in the Bible. How did the wise men do it? How did the shepherds do it? How did Mary do it? How did Joseph do it? Because they all came to worship him. We're going to see how God wants us to do it today. True worship. What does it mean? So let's begin with the word itself, worship. What does it mean? So many times I've learned when I study the Scripture and I'm studying a topic or a word, what I'll do is I'll go back in the Bible and find its first application. The first time that the word comes up. And then I start working from there to develop the, the real meaning of the word. The word worship is found for the first time, guess where? In Genesis 22. In a story with three main characters. Abraham, Isaac, and God. That's the first time you'll find the word. 
In this story, Abraham has been called by God to be the father of a great nation called Israel. That God will use Israel to reveal his glory and his self and his favor to all the inhabitants of the planet Earth. Abraham will be the one through which God will raise up a family. A family called the children of God that that lineage will eventually lead to a king and a kingdom, a Messiah king. And before any of this can happen, there would need to be worship. Listen carefully. Before any of this future can take place, there would need to be a moment of extreme worship. 2,000 years before those wise men come to Bethlehem, 2,000 years before the wise men come to Jerusalem to see King Herod, there would need to be worship. The revelation of his identity requires a response. So let me give you a, a literal definition of the word worship. To depress, to prostrate, to get down, to bow yourself, to crouch, or to fall down. There was a kid one time that heard a preacher preach about worship, and he used the word prostrate regarding bowing down and worshiping God. The kid looked at alarm at his mom and asked, does this mean that daddy can't worship anymore after his surgery? So let me clarify the word today. It's prostrate, not prostate. It is the idea that you and I are supposed to, in understanding his true identity, we fall down. We fall down. Did you come today to worship? Did you ever think about the idea that the fundamental idea, concept of worship is that you find out who he is and you fall down. Not long after the great flood, God called Abram, eventually changed his name to Abraham. He called him out of all the people of the earth. He looked across the planet and he calls one guy. He calls him out of all the people of the earth to be the origin of a group of people, men and women, that God will call the children of God, his children. And these children called by God through Abraham, their lineage will lead to a king and a kingdom, a Messiah king. That calling occurred when Abraham was 75 years old. And he didn't have his son Isaac until he was 100 years old. But when Isaac was young, when he was a young boy, God calls Abraham again and tells him to do something. This is when the story starts to connect with Christmas. When Isaac is a little boy, Abraham's 100 years old, over 100 years old by this point, and God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to go to Mount Moriah. I want you to take your son Isaac and go to Mount Moriah. 
Now you have to understand that Mount Moriah is the future place called Jerusalem. In fact, not just the future place, Mount Moriah, where Abraham will take Isaac, will be eventually the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And not only do you take Isaac, your son, to Moriah, I want you to take him there, build an altar on top of Mount Moriah, and I want you to take a knife and put it in him, kill him, and set his body on fire as an offering to me. Do you know this scene will be the first application of worship in the Bible? Did you come today to worship? The Bible says that early the next day, early the next day, Abraham, Isaac, and his servants set out from Mount Moriah. After three days of travel, they arrived at Mount Moriah, future Jerusalem. And this is what Abraham says to his servants. Genesis 22, verse 5. Stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, the boy, Isaac and I will travel a little farther and we will worship there. We will fall down there. We will worship there and then we will come right back. This is the first time you'll see the word worship in the Bible. What was Abraham saying to his servant? We're going on to Mount Moriah to fall down before God. The revelation of his true identity requires a response. The response is worship. Is that all there is to it? Let's just go somewhere and fall down? Go somewhere and bow down? No. Let's see what Abraham does. And I'll ask you before I read it, what was his real objective? I want to know how to truly worship God. Verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. While he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them, Abraham and his son Isaac, walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, can you feel the emotion in this scene? Isaac doesn't know, but Abraham does. God has asked me to sacrifice you. Father, yes, my son, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they walked, both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go. Now, here's, this is important, important link between this and the Christmas story. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go. Now, I want you to fast forward 2,000 years. There's wise men from the east arriving at a place where God told them to go. It's the same place. It's Jerusalem. Coincidence? Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. And he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son and sacrifice him. At that moment, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. Now I know that you understand what it is to fall down in front of God. For you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. So this is what worship looks like. The revelation of his identity requires a response. And I want you to notice that in this context, the response is fear. Now I know that you fear God. Bowing down, falling down, is not so much about your physical position, but it is about your heart's position before God. You fear God and you fall down in front of God. That's worship. Have you come here today to worship? Worship must be about accepting God as God and putting me where I belong. He is high and I am low. He is the authority. He has the plan and I am afraid. He is holy and I am not holy and I am afraid of his holiness. He is in charge. He alone has absolute authority. He alone has absolute sovereignty. There is no worship without this premise, without this foundation. He is everything, and I am nothing without him. And I am afraid. Abraham submits to the will of God. He didn't have to guess about it. God made his will clear to him. Take your son to Moriah and sacrifice him. Abraham's not guessing. Abraham is hearing a word from God, believing a word from God, following a word from God. So let me ask you a question right now. Do you think this was a cruel and heartless test between God and Abraham? Do you think this was a mean thing for God to do, putting Abraham into this great distress just so he would obey and worship him? Or, there's an alternative. Or was God giving Abraham, the man through whom he would reveal himself to the world, a glimpse into the future of the greatest act of love that will ever be displayed on the earth? I wonder how many of you have already seen it. You know what it is. That God is giving Abraham a glimpse into the future, a single act that will demonstrate the greatest act of love ever happened on the earth. I'll repeat verse 12. Here it is. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. For you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. This is a preview of an event that would bring wise men into Jerusalem some 2,000 years in the future. 
This is an announcement of the future plan of God. When God would not withhold his son, his only son. This is the scene that will reveal the scene that will reveal the greatest act of love ever performed on planet earth. And it all happened where? On Mount Moriah before Jerusalem was Jerusalem. Abraham's obedience to the will of God. Abraham's obedience to the will of God, Abraham's act of worship, opened up a family tree for God to populate the earth with his children. And those children, the lineage of those children, would bring a king and a kingdom, a Messiah king to the earth. So let's focus on something in that text. God uses three words in this scene that might surprise some of you regarding Abraham, your only son. What about Ishmael? Do you know anything about the Bible? There was another son before Isaac. What about Ishmael? Listen carefully. From God's perspective, Ishmael was not the legitimate son of Abraham. He is illegitimate. Does that matter to God? At some point in your life, you better figure out the answer to that question. Will there be legitimate sons of God, sons of Abraham? And will there be illegitimate sons of God and sons of Abraham? Yes, there will be. Does it matter? Isn't that rather harsh to say that Ishmael is illegitimate? After all, what did Ishmael do wrong that he should be shunned? Do you remember where this started? The word is called worship. It is to fall down. Listen carefully. It is not just to fall down. It is to fall down and accept, accept the plan of God and give up your plan. Worship is to fall down and give up your plan to receive his plan, even if his plan makes no sense in your life. It's called worship. Yes. I'm going to tell you today, your plan won't work. I can't worship God with my plan. I'm going to prove it to you. I can't worship God with my plan. It's not worship if I use my plan. In fact, Trying to worship God using my plan is called self-worship. It won't work. Ishmael was man's plan to achieve God's will. Ishmael was man's plan. Ishmael was another person trying to make another plan that would achieve the purpose of God. It's not true worship, and it won't work. And that's why God refers to Isaac as Abraham's only son. There is no substitute church for true worship. True worship is when you fall down, and as you fall down, so does your plan. So does your will, and so does your way. And in that moment of fear, in His holiness, your plan goes down and His plan comes up. 
It's called worship. There's no substitute for true worship. God has made a way for us to access Him and worship Him, but it must be, listen, it must be His way. 2,000 years later, after Jesus has ascended to the Father, the Apostle Paul explains the same story to the church, the New Testament church in Galatia. This idea of Isaac and, and Ishmael and how one is legitimate and how is the other is not legitimate. He explains it to the church. Why? Because church, you better figure this out. In Galatians 4.22, Paul writes this, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. One from his slave wife, that would be Hagar, and one from his freeborn wife, that'd be Sarah. The son of the slave wife was born, listen, the son Ishmael from Hagar was born in a human attempt, in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. It won't work. It won't work. But the son of the freeborn wife, Isaac, born to Sarah, was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Paul acknowledges that Abraham had two sons, but only one is legitimate regarding the covenant promises of God. Only one. Only one will provide a pathway to true worship, bringing a king and a kingdom, a Messiah king to the earth. Only one. Slave or free. That's how Paul describes the two positions, Ishmael and Isaac. Slave or free. Those who live under the promise of the only son will be free. Free to do what? Free to worship him. Let's go down five verses, verse 28. Still in the New Testament, Galatians. And you, dear children, brother, dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church. You, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise. That's the church. Just like Isaac was a child of of the promise, not the child of man's way to get the promise, but the child of the promise itself, legitimate. We're just like Isaac. Verse 29, but you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac. The child born, don't miss this, the child Isaac, born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the Scriptures say about that? This is why I say, church, you better figure this out. What do the Scriptures say? Get rid of the slave and her son. Is anybody listening to me today? Get rid of the slave and her son. Man's attempt to worship God your way will fail. You'll become an illegitimate child. Get rid. What does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. 
You must become part of Abraham's family, the children of God, and you must do it legitimately, not your way. Born by human effort, that's man's way. Or born again by the power of the Spirit, that's God's way. The revelation of his identity and purpose requires a response. Is that why you came here today? Be honest. Let's be frank with each other today. You, did you come here today that, that, that your life would fall down in fear of the holiness of God? And that every plan that you've ever made in your life, you would lay on the altar and allow his perfect plan to come over top of that plan into your life. That's worship. Or do you think you can do it your way? I can tell you your way won't work. This Christmas, I want to break from the world's idea of worship and join Abraham. I want to join the wise men from the East in that kind of worship. That, that's the kind of worship that is pleasing to God. That is legitimate worship. The revelation of his identity and purpose requires a response. It is called worship. It is to fall down before him. Abraham and Isaac are a picture of the promise of God. And it is specifically of a picture of your only son. Abraham's only son, Isaac. The covenant promise. The great prophet Isaiah announced it 700 years before Jesus' birth. Announced what? The reality of the shadow of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. Isaac is going to announce the reality of the shadow. See, everything that happened on Mount Moriah with Isaac and Abraham is a shadow. It's a preview of a future event. Well, here comes the prophet Isaiah, and he's going to announce the reality of the shadow. What's the shadow going to look like when it arrives? The Abraham and Isaac event on Mount Moriah was the beginning of a divine plan that would bring wise men from the east to worship a newborn king of the Jews, a Messiah king. But before they would arrive in Jerusalem, Isaiah 700 years before Christ makes this prophecy. Every one of you reads it on Christmas. Here's what he says. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government, the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. His government and, his, and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. It is unstoppable. The prophet Daniel announced it. There's a rock coming out of heaven and it's going to fall. It's going to crush the feet of iron and clay. And all the kingdoms of the world are going to fall and be blown away. And this rock will grow and cover the whole earth. And a kingdom will come that will never end. I want to worship him. I have this information about that which is coming. I want to worship him. And I'm asking you again, why are you here today? 
What is your real objective when you got in the car to come here today? What is your real objective? Be honest. I cannot worship him while exalting myself. I cannot worship him by living out my will and my way. It is called self-worship. I've got to get down. I've got to prostrate my life under his will and his way. It is the difference between slavery and freedom. It is the difference between life and death. It is the difference between being a legitimate son and an illegitimate son. I want to worship him. And the more I did this series, the more I came to this conclusion. When you figure out who he is, when you truly come to know who he is, you will worship him. You will bow down. You will fall down. And you will lay your plan, your heart, your everything, because you will see how huge he is and how small we are. Listen to what the one and only son says about the one and only son. What Jesus says about Jesus. John 3.16. For God loved the world so much that he gave what Abraham previewed. His one and only son. Except the difference in this story is when the death was about to happen to Abraham and Isaac, he pulled Abraham back. He pulled him back. But when Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't pull back. He didn't pull back. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't pull back. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him. Are you ready? Anyone who does not believe in him and if you believe in him you will worship him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only, one and only Son. The revelation of his true identity requires, requires a response. It's called worship. I want to worship him. Why are you here today? What is your real objective? Be honest. I don't want to perish. Do you? Is that a stupid question? I don't want to perish. God loved the world so much that you would not have to perish. But the revelation of his identity requires worship from you to become a legitimate child of God. Or you will perish. I don't want to be an illegitimate child when God calls his family in for the wedding supper. And I understand this truth from the Holy Scriptures. i got to get down in order to get up. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob worshipped him. This is where it all began, the children of God. God supernaturally called Abraham and Isaac to Mount Moriah. Listen, here comes the connection to Christmas. God supernaturally called Abraham and Isaac 
to Moriah, Jerusalem. Why? To worship. God, God did it. He supernaturally called Abraham and Isaac to Mount Moriah, future Jerusalem, so that they might worship. 2,000 years later, 2,000 years after Abraham, God supernaturally called the wise men to that same city, Jerusalem, to do the same thing, to worship him. You have not withheld your son, your only son. They are legitimate children who will sit at the supper table with their father. The revelation of his true identity requires a response called worship. And let me tell you, worship is not religion. Religion in itself is not true worship. Jesus said this to the Jews who practice religion, but they refuse to see the true identity of Jesus as Messiah, as King. They practice religion. Much of people in the church, you practice religion. You practice religion, but it's not worship. You think that you can approach God with your will and your way. It won't work. Matthew 8, 11, Jesus says, I tell you this. He's talking to the religious Jewish people who practice religion. I tell you this, many Gentiles, it's a reference to the future church. Many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and they will sit down with who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, and I'm going to clarify who he's talking to, those who practice religion without legitimate worship of God. But many Israelites, those who, to whom the kingdom was prepared, he prepared the kingdom for them, and they refused to worship him, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be there. They are the worshipers. The wise men from the east, they're going to be there. They're the worshipers. Those shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night who left everything to go see this child and fall down in front of him. They're going to be there. They're the worshipers. That table, including Gentiles, will be filled with whom? Those who worshiped him. That's just going to be at the table. The revelation of his identity requires a response. That response is worship. The angels and the heavenly host are going to be there. And you talk about worshipers? They know how to worship. In Hebrews 1 verse 6, do you know this about Jesus? And when he, God, brought his firstborn son, Jesus, into the world, God the Father said, let all of God's angels worship him, the angels fall down in front of him. Did they? The angels? Do they? Revelation 5.13. I love this. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne. That's the father. And to the lamb. That's the son. Forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. 
And the 24 elders fell down and they worshiped the lamb. Why'd you come here? Ishmael represents man's attempt to worship God their own way. It didn't work. It's self-worship and God is not a fool. He knows your heart. Ishmael represents the idea that we can get God's promised results by doing it our way. It won't work. It's not legitimate worship. Isaac was called the child of the promise. Isaac is God's way. God's way is the father giving his one and only son. God's way. Isaac represents the only way to enter the presence of God so that you might even be given the privilege and opportunity of worshiping him. Abraham's only son, Isaac, produced a lineage, a family that produced the one and only son, a king and a kingdom. That one and only son, Jesus, said that there was only one way, and he is the only way to the Father. And the revelation of his identity requires a response. And the response simply throughout the Scripture is this. You must worship him. You don't just believe in him, that he believes, you believe that he exists. When you believe that he exists legitimately, you will worship him. Revelation 14, 6. And I saw another angel flying through the sky carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And what's the message that the angel will carry during the tribulation to the inhabitants of the earth? What is it? Fear God. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit and judge, worship him. The angel during the tribulation carries a message to the earth. I bring that message to you today in advance of the tribulation. Fear God, worship him. While you have time, fear God, worship him. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all the springs of water. Man's way won't work. Look around. Look at secular Christmas. What has happened? Look at, just stop for a moment. Look at secular Christmas. Look at the Christmas celebration itself. What has happened? It's self-worship. Giving ourselves gifts. People want peace. And, and I know around this time of year that people long for this peace. They want peace, but without the Prince of Peace. But you must worship Him. People want life without the author of life. But you must worship Him to have life. People want a society of good while rejecting the one source of good in their own lives. Worshiping self instead of God. The current Christmas culture, presence and self-indulgence without Jesus is self-worship. 
do you call this what the world calls Christmas? Do you, can you possibly call this worship? Worship has always been a choice. Abraham had a choice. And the Bible says that Abraham got up early the next day and started walking toward Moriah. He had a choice. It was a choice that first Christmas. And here's where I'm going to wrap it up today. Herod had a choice. The wise men had a choice. So let me repeat the first two verses of the Christmas story, Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, you need to understand something about these wise men. They must have traveled a great distance with a great risk carrying a great treasure. It would be dangerous to carry gold in the middle of this caravan across the lands. But they came a great distance at great risk of their own life, bringing a great treasure. They came specifically to worship him. You can do it for real or you can try to fake it. Churches are filled with people who legitimately do the worship for real and, and people who are in church who do it and you're faking it. And it is not my job to tell which one is which. It's my job to preach the gospel. God knows each heart. He knows my heart the second. He knows yours too. And he knows why you came here today. And the story of Christmas presents this choice. The wise men traveled a great distance at great risk with great danger and great wealth to worship the newborn king of the Jews. And they approach King Herod, and you know what? He thought he could fake it. Let me read it to you, verse 7 and 8. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told the wise men, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I liar, can go and worship him too. What an amazing contrast between these two groups of people. Wise men, legitimate worship. They're willing to fall down. And here's the most frightening thing of this story to me. In fact, it woke me up in the middle of the night last night. The Herods today don't know they're Herods. Because if the Herods knew they were Herods, they'd become wise men. Nobody really thinks they are lining up with Herod in the church. But many are Herods. Herod was rejecting the plan of God for the only son of God to become the king of the Jews. Why? Because Herod was already the king of the Jews. And the only way Herod could worship was to go down. He's not going down. The only way Herod could become like the wise men 
and worship legitimately would be to say, I give up my power and authority in my life and I give it to this child. But he wouldn't do it. And the same thing holds true with every one of us. The only way we can ever worship him is by giving up our little kingdom, our little authority, and our little world, and our little reign, and our little control, and we fall down. The revelation of his identity and purpose requires a response. It's called worship the angels during the tribulation say simply fear God and worship him. I'm amazed at the revelation of Psalms chapter 2. Many times when I'm walking and praying in the mornings, I pray Psalms chapter 2 out loud. It reveals the Messiah. It reveals not just the Messiah, but it reveals the Son, the Son of God, perhaps a thousand years in advance of his birth. So listen carefully to this warning. And as I read Psalms 2, just a couple of verses today, I'm asking you to think about the wise men standing in front of King Herod as I read this. The wise men standing in front of King Herod. The wise men are all excited. They've traveled, taken great risks to see this newborn king of the Jews. I'm coming to worship, and Herod's faking it because he's got, he wants no part of it. Think about the current world leaders in the world we live in today who make mockery of our Messiah King as I read these verses. Psalms 2 verse 10. Now then, you kings of the earth, back then, today, listen, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son or he will become angry and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant, but what joy for all who take refuge in him. The revelation of his identity requires a response. God's word says, submit to God's royal son. Fear God and worship him. One translation, I think it's the NIV says, kiss the son lest he be angry with you and you be destroyed on your way. Kiss him while you have a chance. Bow down to him while you have a moment to bow to him. So one last time, why are you here today? Why have you come to this place of worship today? Next week's Christmas. It falls on a Sunday. Last time that happened was in 2016. This past couple of weeks, our staff's been meeting together and making plans. And, and the staff, we had this conversation. The conversation is, what will happen at Nineveh when Christmas falls on a Sunday? Will attendance be up or will attendance be down? Will it fall apart? What's going to happen next Sunday? I went back and looked at 2016. It was down. Not terrible, but it was down. I don't understand. Sorry, I don't understand. So I'm going to ask you a question today. How many people will be in this place of worship next Sunday on Christmas Day for part two of this series? But I've come to worship him. Are you sure? The most frightening thing about today's story is the Herods never knew they were Herods. 
But what about my family? Let me ask you a question, just a real practical question. You won't like it, but it's the only way I'll finish. If you had secret knowledge that that you were going to stand in front of God on December 26th, the day after Christmas, would you come to church and worship him on the 25th? Every one of you would. And it wouldn't matter what your family had planned that day. And it wouldn't matter anything. Nothing would matter. Nothing would matter. Because you have come to worship him. Because he's the one who saved your life. He's the one that pulled you from the fire of hell itself. And he is worthy of your worship. And of all the days of the year to worship him. This is it. And the Herods don't know the Herods. Have you come today to worship him? Like the wise men, the magi come to worship him? Are you sure? Worship to depress, to prostrate, to get down, to bow yourself, to crouch, to fall down flat. I'm telling you, your way won't work. I'm not trying to be a heavy on Christmas. I'm not. Your way won't work. Ask Herod. Coming to the worship center does not make you a worshiper. Herod tried to stop the newborn king of the Jews by killing all the children in Bethlehem. But I'm going to tell you, you can't stop him. The revelation of his identity and purpose requires a response. It is when you fall down and you worship him while you're still able to. One day it'll be too late. Next Sunday on Christmas Day, I'm going to talk about specifically how to worship him in spirit and in truth. I'll ask Chad to come on out. And last night in the middle of the night, I wake up and and this thought just kept coming through my mind. And it is this. Do you think Herod knew? That that child in Bethlehem was God? Was God? If you knew that the one that we worship today is God, he's God, and you're going to stand in front of him and give an account with your life, you'd fall down. Yeah, you would. The revelation of his identity requires a response. The response is singular. The response is you become afraid of his glorious holiness and you fall down. Have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. Have mercy on me. So in a moment, we're going to sing the song. and I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart. I have no idea. I know what he's doing in mine. I want to worship him. I want to worship him in spirit and in truth. I want to do it his way. I want to surrender my kingdom, my little kingdom, and be a part of his great kingdom. I want to serve him as a slave would serve his master. What's he doing to you? Worship him. Let's stand. The invitation's open.